Stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hello, thank you for joining us on Raising Joy. Uh, my name is Winnie King. I am the, um, I don't know what I am. What am I today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the SVP of Communications, Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity at Cook Children's, and I am joined by my lovely host. Uh, my name is Dr. Kristen Perch, and I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Cook Children's. I'm going to say three words. Um, I'm going to say Buffalo, Uvalde. And Tulsa, what does that make you think of? Again? Yeah. And again and again? Yeah. Yeah. You feel hopeless? Yeah. Sad? Yeah. On top of everything else. Right. It's not enough that we've gone through what we've gone through. But now we've got this. And we've got people in in large numbers being killed. Um and it's it's disheartening for me. It's almost numbing. Yes. Yes. And I hate that. I hate that I am feeling numb. I don't want to ever feel numb about this kind of activity. I want to be outraged and incensed. But right now I'm just I'm just numb. It's yes. hard to see babies. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's hard to see babies. And I, I just... You know, it, it, it's just difficult to think about what they were thinking, oh. what they were experiencing. And I think Winnie and, you know, you don't have any room nor in, invitation to complain about anything. You just don't. Um, but it's difficult for me to imagine. And I sometimes do. And I and that's a dark place to go. Yeah. It's sometimes to imagine where, what were they thinking, those 10-year-olds? and or, or people just doing what they do every day, going to the grocery store. I know. Going to the grocery store. Going to the doctor's office. Yeah. I, this is what we do. We go to school. We go to the grocery store. We go to the doctor's office. I mean, this is stuff we do every day. And you don't think, I need to be careful. I need to be looking for the exit. I need to be looking for where, how can I, ex you know, you go to church. I don't want to be thinking like that. But anyway, right. I am grateful, though, um, that we have two special guests that are going to help me <laughs> and hopefully help you, too. Um and I'm really helping, hoping that they're going to help us better understand how we can support our children when they're dealing with this kind of information, when they're seeing this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I will say this school shooting really impacted me differently because my children are young. Mm -hmm. My oldest is seven. So this was the first time that I had to see this go down on the nightly news mm -hmm. and read the reports and see the pictures and think about those mamas uh, not being able to hold their babies. And then I had to send my kid to school the next day. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just different. It's, it's just different thinking about, because you're like, how, 
like, I don't know, I, we would do anything for our children, right. like absolutely anything. And right. just knowing that I, I can't guarantee that she's safe. Like I, that. Cause that's your job. That, that's the job of a parent is to keep the child safe. But now this is out of control. I right. mean, it's out of your control. Exactly. It's out of everybody's control. And how do we, how do you, how do you fix that? Because, okay, we've got two guests who are going to help Sorry. us talk to our kids. <laughs> Winnie and I but, could talk about this yeah, but, together all day. But but at the same time, you have to talk about parents helping parents. The parents have to be okay. The yep. parents have to be okay in order to help the kid be okay. 100%. Yep. So um, my very dear friend uh, is joining us today. Dr. Kia Carter is the medical director for inpatient psychiatry at Cook Children's. And we spend a lot of time together and try our best to serve the needs of children who have um, mental health needs in our community. And we work together as co-medical directors. And it's just an honor to work alongside her every day. And also with us, a dear friend, (laughs) someone I've known for a long time, uh, Dr. Cameron Brown. She's a chaplain at Cook Children's, and she received a doctorate degree in pastoral care and counseling from TCU. Um, she's also a retired firefighter. And if you saw her, you would be like, what? She's all of, <laughs> what, 5'1", <laughs> you know, 85 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> but, but mighty. <laughs> but she has served, but she served as a firefighter for more than 30 years with the Fort Worth Fire Department. Um, and we welcome you both to Raising Joy. Thank you. Thank you. So, Dr. Carter, let's start with you. Um, What went through your head when you first heard the news about the shooting in Uvalde? Well, shock, you know. So I do have a child in middle school. And so initially it's one of those things where we think about, okay, wait, how's my child doing? My child's at school right now when I hear this news. Um, So initially I was in my office and I got the message and I had to sit back and think about it for a couple minutes. I'm at work. I'm taking care of patients. I have to put on this brave face to go out and support my patients and their families, all while thinking about all this other stuff going on behind me. Um, And then I think I kind of went through those stages of grief almost. So disbelief, um, anger frustration, sadness, it's kind of all through my head. And then I had to think about how do I go home and support my child who's at school, who's likely heard something, or I've exposed something on social media. So I had to really take a step back and Mm -hmm. regroup and recharge myself before I went out to talk to families, to patients, um, and to my own child when I got home. Mm. That's a lot to deal with. Um, Because not only do you have to deal with you know, those people are in front of you. They're they're in front of you. I got to deal with this first. But there's something in the back of your head mm-hmm. saying, but my baby, but my baby, but my baby, mm-hmm. you know, and how do I handle that? So there's a constant thought process of I got to help this one, this one, but I got one at home to help. Um, you know, a mother's work is never done, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly, yes. It's never done. Um, Dr. Carter, how can parents um, support their children when they themselves, and we just talked about that, when they themselves may not know if school is safe or a safe place for their kids, this again seems out of your control because you can't go um, and patrol the school, even though you want to, 
that's not for you to do. How do you, how do you help parents support kids who need that kind of support themselves? No, it's a great question. And you mentioned it just a minute ago that you almost felt numb. And I think a lot of parents feel numb where we've been dealing with this for a while now. And so that's a scary place to be in. And I encourage parents to, like I said, take a step back, um, prepare yourself, do the things you need to do to regroup and be that parent, uh, that supporter, that caregiver, whatever your role is to any child in your life so that you're strong. I think it's important that we, you know, meditate. We may need to exercise. We may need to take a day off of work before mm. we go back, especially for our teachers mm. and our educators that are in that setting. That is extremely hard to do. And so it's important to be mindful of what works for you before you try to help others. And that's as a parent, right? We have to be prepared. We have to be the best parent. And that means taking care of us first before mm. we go out and help our children. It sounds like the thing that the airlines always tell you when the <laughs> oxygen level drops and and you get that 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 mask, you put the mask on first. Correct. Because you can't help anybody if you've passed out. So Correct. you got to put the mask on yourself and then you can help others. No, it's a reason for that. Everybody yeah. wonders why they say that. And it's the exact same. That's the reason why you can't help others until you help yourself. Right. That's Very absolutely. True. Yeah. Dr. Brown, so tell us a little bit about your background and how you support uh, first responders through traumatic situations. Okay, uh, with being a firefighter and a, a first responder for so many years, uh, over 30 years with Fort Worth, and I was in the Air Force as a firefighter as well. Uh, so supporting, you know, when I heard about this shooting, this this uh, the one in Uvalde, then my heart immediately went, you know, to the children, to the teachers, to the family, but also to the first responders. And just the the sense of helplessness and powerlessness that they must have felt. And when we hear about uh, the delay in them being able to go in and render that aid, then I can only imagine what was going through their heads and saying, that's what we're trained to do. You know, when everybody else is running out, we're running oh, yeah. in mm -hmm. to render that mm -hmm. aid. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, is, is customary that we've been doing since the, the late 80s is called critical incident stress management. And at Cook Children's, after a critical incident, then we will usually have a formal debriefing. And that is a way of bringing the first responders to the medical center. And, uh, for example, if the, uh, the, the patient, the child is brought uh, from the scene by the ambulance crew, then the ambulance crew is invited, the firefighters, law enforcement. And then we all gather together with the emergency department uh, team mm -hmm. who provided care to the patient and the patient's family. And it's a way of everybody coming together mm -hmm. because there is that commonality because they tried to do everything they possibly could to help that patient and family. And when people start talking about this shared experience, then it's a way of normalizing what some of those reactions are. You all had talked about just feeling numb. When you mm -hmm. talked about then the shock, the disbelief, when you heard the news about these shootings. And so when people are able to express, you know, they, they talk about what their experience was, 
what they saw, mm. what they mm. heard. Mm. A lot of times it's just, you know, what did they smell? Mm. Because the olfactory system is just so, such a, so powerful for triggering memories. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when they participate in, in this care, then they can become vicarious. Uh, they can have, uh, they can uh, have vicarious traumatization that it didn't happen to, to them, them or to their families, but they, they're experiencing it nonetheless. Yes, yeah. cor- correct. Mm-hmm. So, but when, you know, if, if I say, you know, I've had difficulty sleeping or uh, perhaps I can't eat because of this smell, I, it feels like I can't get this smell off of me. Um, then another person might look over and say, wow, I've had difficulty eating too. I've had difficulty sleeping. Uh, I feel like I've been isolating myself because I can't talk with my family about mm-hmm. this. They would not understand. But when they come together uh, as that uh, that caregiver team, it's like, oh, okay, so you're feeling that way or you've had that reaction. Then, then again, it's uh, the normalizing and it builds community. We just see just the, the appreciation and the affirmation. You know, when that emergency room physician says to that paramedic, wow, you did such an excellent job trying to save this child's life. And thank you so much for bringing them to, to cook children's. And that paramedic would just go, wow, thank you. I, I appreciate that affirmation. And, and I, you just think about the guilt they have. I'm sure that that helped relieve a lot of guilt for something that they had no control over mm-hmm. because they knew like having someone else say, hey, you did everything you could. Like that has to go so far. Yeah. So I'm I'm really glad that. Cook offers that safe space to be able to process that trauma because I think if if they didn't, I'm afraid that we would lose a lot of really good people in our community mm-hmm. um, just because of like burnout or you know mental illness. I mean that that would be very hard to go to work every day and yeah. have to deal with those kind of processes, kind of traumas like every day. But I know folks in our ER do that. My prayer, and I do have a prayer that um, those first responders in Uvalde have that same kind of gathering, debriefing, and I don't want to get graphic, but, um, you know, the way that it was described that I've visualized and, and that particular kind of weapon that was used and the destruction it has on the small body yeah. and what those people have walked into to see. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how you lay down at night and close your eyes and not he see that again. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm very protective and, and I think I'm overly sensitive, but I'm very protective about what I see mm-hmm. on TV. I'm very protective of that because it, it revisits mm-hmm. um, in the dark. It, it revisits. So I have, I've trained myself to watch the golden girls mm-hmm. before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. Because I need something stupid, silly, crazy, laughy. Yes. Um, I, I cannot. My sister can watch CSI and all those kind of. No, I I really have to be very protective of my eyes. And I can't imagine what they experienced and not having to come together. They have to come together and debrief on that. They have to. Yeah. I hope that they are. I really do. Yes. 
And part of it, too, is is that educational process of how do you cope? One of the questions I will ask is, what do you do when you're not at work? Mm. You know, what brings you joy mm. in your life? And so that gets gives us an idea of how they're coping. You know, people, you know, do you enjoy being outside? Mm-hmm. Do you read? Uh, do you have a social group that you're able to go and spend time and have fun with? And then we will give them brochures that talk about, you know, healthy coping strategies, eating a healthy diet, like Dr. <laughs> Carter says. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's so important because it's in those kind of situations, it's so easy. You want to tune out. Like you don't want to think about those images and the fastest and easiest way to do that is honestly drugs and alcohol. And so I'm just glad that people that you guys are asking those questions, you know, to say like, what, how, how are you supporting yourself in this way? And don't go the way of um, letting that ruin your life. Like, don't do that. Cameron, do you have any guiding principles for talking to kids when they're asking hard questions? Like, um, why do bad things happen? to good people. That sounded like a book. I don't know where that book came from. Yeah. Yeah. But do you have any guiding principles when they ask hard questions like that? And that is, that is a book by uh, Rabbi Kushner, mm. you know, when bad things happen to good people. And he, uh, his son died at 14 years of, of age. So I, I, I recommend that book. It's, it's, it's very good. Uh, and I think with a, a guiding principle for these for when children ask these questions, it's got, you know, adults ask the questions mm-hmm. as well. Those tough questions, you know, why did God allow this hap- to, to happen? Where was God at this time? And, and I think that as adults, that being there, being present and listening mm-hmm. to that and not discounting mm-hmm. them in any way and says, oh, well, you know, trying to give some kind of theological answer. That's not what the children are looking for at that time. But with being there and connecting mm-hmm. with the child, listening to them, affirming that it's okay to have these questions. And actually in uh, Rabbi Kushner's book, then he says that these should uh, when we say, you know, why does this happen? How could this happen? How could God allow this to happen? That we don't end it with a question mark, but we end it with an exclamation point. Mm-hmm. Because when we end statements like that with a question mark, then we think, oh, we've got to look for cause and effect. We have to look for an answer. So I think just letting that child talk and to say, you know, what, what are, what are your fears? Mm -hmm. And then also that we go to our own faith background too. you know, maybe they need to go talk with a a Sunday school teacher or, or to a chaplain or, or to, to a minister, if that parent feels uh, challenged Mm -hmm. by, by these, by these questions, but then just listening to them. And of course, with the, looking at uh, Job, that there were characters in mm. the, the Bible as well who went through some really, really tough challenges and exactly. that he lost his health, his wealth, and, and his family. family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But found that, you know, truly that God is there. God comforts us. And I think that when we have these tragedies like this and people ask questions, 
that there is this coming together of community. Mm-hmm. And then that's where the the strength is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the, I answered that appropriate, yeah, but it's, no. it's 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 tough. And I, no parents will go, "What do I say?" And so it's we don't have. We can say, "I don't have the answer to that. I don't know what the answer is." And being honest and mm-hmm. that yeah. and truthful. I think the question is important, though. Or and like you said, like validate the question and say, like, "Hey, I, I'm really glad that you're thinking about that. I'm glad you're asking the question." I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Yes. But I'm glad you're thinking about it. Yes. You know, and, and just validate the wonder because I think that a lot of kids are trying to figure things out. But I'm glad that I would be glad that my kid came to ask me the question because it says, I know that my mom will listen. I know my mom will support me and she's a person I can go to when I don't know what's up. You know, so I think yeah. I think that rather than being overwhelmed, take it as your kid trusts you in a hard situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Carter, what... Um, how did you address the shooting with your own kiddo? Well, so she was at school when it happened. And so I initially sent her a text message to just see if she knew anything. That's one of the big things we tell families is to bring it up to your middle age and high school kids because you want to know what they've been exposed to. And she actually hadn't heard anything. So I was pretty shocked by that. So when she got home from school, we sat down and spoke about it. We talked about that, um, something that had happened at another school. Unfortunately, we recently had a shooting at a school nearby us, but it wasn't a mass shooting. So Mm -hmm. it was a talk we've had recently uh, of six months ago. So we talked about how something like that similar had happened. A lot of people were hurt. Um, She asked questions about what what was wrong? What happened? Why did the shooter hurt people? And those were questions I couldn't answer. And that's sometimes parents, we have to be okay with not knowing that answer. I don't know why that happened, but let's talk about what can happen if something like that ever happens again at your school or with anybody else, or if you have worries or fears. Um, And she handled it pretty well, but we've had this discussion recently about that because we've had another shooting around us. Um, I also encouraged her that if she heard things or her friends told her things to come back and talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I always tell parents, don't just leave that one conversation be in the end. Always go back and revisit because kids can start to experience things like Dr. Brown mentioned, change in appetite, change in sleep, um, nightmares, sounds like that hypervigilance. And Dr. Brown mentioned the olfactory. That is super important because Mm -hmm. we don't even think about that. That smell could be a trigger for trauma. And so I always just tell her to come back, tell me if she has any questions, let me know if she heard anything so I can validate those feelings or we can share our own kind of worries together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Carter, talk to me about teachers um, who may have, they may be listening and they're going to have to go back to school in the fall. This this has got to be tough because we already put a lot on the teacher. Absolutely. The teacher already has a lot to handle. Um, and without some other people in, in the news having said we need to arm teachers. OK, you've already put enough on me and I don't know. No, <laughs> let's just stop that right now. But what they're going to be fearful. Some of them have got to be fearful about going back to school. Who's going to support me? Who's going to protect me so I can protect the kids? Oh, I agree. I, I'm fearful, right? Because I don't have to go back, but I know what they're feeling. I know what it feels like to be in a traumatic experience and have to think about encountering that again or preparing myself for that. So I encourage teachers during the summer, mostly 
teachers are off during mm-hmm. the summer to find those things that they find joy in, like Dr. Brown mentioned, mm-hmm. um, find the things that will help them recharge, spend time with their family members and their loved ones. We know from trauma, people that have a good support system, a good network, um, they tend to be able to overcome that trauma and process it better than being alone. So don't feel alone. Don't sit alone. Don't struggle alone. And if you are having concerns, maybe get in counseling. This is the time to talk about some of those things that you may be struggling with, those fears, um, support groups. So I know there's lots of teachers around. And I think also sharing those anxieties and those fears with other people that have similar worries about returning to school and then coming together and trying to make sure your word is heard. Addressing the school board, talking with the school principal, um, joining some of those organizations that are talking about what can be different, what can prepare our teachers a little better when going back to the school year to make sure their voices are heard because mm-hmm. they're 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 the main people that have to deal mm-hmm. with this other than our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and our kids are struggling with it, but adults are struggling it with more because we have babies that we know we have to send back to school and we know what could happen. Our kids can kind of maybe blow it off or not process it, but our adults are struggling with it. And so it's important to find that support system and feel like your voice is being heard so that you can let the people know what you are worried about and what you're fearful about. Um, so I just encourage teachers and anybody else in the school, administrators, secretaries, janitors, yes, everybody in the school, because yeah. I'm sure everybody was fearful for their lives at that time that were inside the school. Mm-hmm. So I think it's forming those bonds, making sure you communicate and open up and finding people with a common ground, like Dr. Brown mentioned, with the other people who've experienced it. When you come together and have a support network, we know that that will help you through that trauma. Right, right. It may be even worth starting a group, you know, That's a good of, idea. Of, of, of teachers within your school or maybe not even in your school, just a group of teachers come together. It would be it would be a good community, yes. uh, you know, work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Brown, as a firefighter, you were one of the first responders on the scene of the Wedgwood Baptist shooting here in Fort Worth in 1999. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that experience and what you learned about trauma that these kind of events leave on a community? Uh, Thank you. Uh, I was actually off duty that day, but I was called to the scene to uh, to to render aid as as far as with the uh, emotional support. So when I arrived on the scene, then the first responders were very, very busy. They were triaging, they were treating and they were transporting. And so you could just see uh, on their faces, in their eyes that I mean, what a devastating event. And so parents started hearing about this tragedy. So they started showing up on the scene. And there were um, a variety of patients were taken, patients were taken to a variety of hospitals. And so they had, they brought the the witnesses out. And we uh, were able to go into a school. And so the witnesses were taken into one room and just the look of terror and shock on their faces. It's just very, very, uh, it's it's indescribable. And people really weren't saying anything. They were just kind of walking and numb. It comes back mm-hmm. to what you all were saying about the numbness. And so the law enforcement took all of the witnesses and they got on a bus and went downtown. So that we had the, the witnesses that were traumatized by it. And then with the families arriving, 
then we initially had them in one room together. So until we got more help there. So then we, when we, we had clergy and chaplains were mm-hmm. arriving, mm-hmm. we had Red Cross volunteers and critical incident stress debriefers arriving on the scene. So we were able to take each family unit and put them in individual classrooms. And when uh, uh, the incident command was able to identify where some of these patients were taken, then the families were told and they were uh they went to the hospital. So as time went on, when the families were there that weren't told about which hospital to go to, mm. then that mean that meant that their child was deceased mm. and still in the mm. sanctuary. Mm. And when a parent is told mm. that their child did not survive, they're is a primal scream mm-hmm. that it resonates, mm. whether it's in the emergency department, where if it's at, like at that school, mm-hmm. that primal scream, and nobody has to say a word because everyone knows mm-hmm. that that person has received the worst news mm-hmm. that anyone could ever receive. And I guess when I heard about Uvalde, I thought, Oh my gosh. The screams. The the screams. Yeah. The the screams during the event. Yeah. The screams afterwards. And then these parents been taken Mm. to uh, a reunification center and waiting. And then when I heard that the, that they were using, they were doing the DNA testing for those parents. And you just know those are the ones. Oh my God. Mm. Who they haven't been reunited with their children, mm. and mm. and what are the next steps and the next information that they're going to receive, and it's devastating to communities, mm-hmm. you know. But also, I think that in the midst of the tragedy and the days following that people come together, mm-hmm. that they're, that these tragedies can unify mm-hmm. people. That's a small community. They came together. And then people outside that community mm-hmm. have also joined in and helping them. And people, so many gestures, you know, when you see on the news and you see all of the flowers. flowers yeah the flowers and the notes Mm -hmm. and the note cards from the joy campaign. Mm -hmm. Then we put those in the meditation room at cook children's for people to come in. And so they're writing Mm -hmm. notes to the hospital staff in Uvalde. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I, you know, I, I hope that those parents can feel, yeah. because um, even though I can't bring a flower, Dr. Carter, you can't bring a flower, but there isn't a parent who hasn't driven up to a school. There is not one parent. You can't tell me there aren't parents who aren't thinking about this right now and thinking about those parents oh who God. lost. Every, every parent who drove up to a school dropped a child off had to be thinking, you know, 
these poor parents, these poor families who have been robbed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who have been robbed. And those little lives that have been cut short. Yes. But but still the love. You know, there's still the love that goes to them, uh, you know. And and I um I wanted to ask the question because the numbness of me is asking this question. A lot of people, and I am faith, I, I am a person of faith, but I get tired of hearing our thoughts and prayers are with you. Your thoughts and prayers. Is that is that wrong? Is that wrong of me? Because I'm tired of hearing, oh my gosh, my thoughts and prayers. I, we need a little bit more than your thoughts and prayers, sweet pea. I just need something else. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I need, but I need more than thoughts and prayers. Mm-hmm. Because it becomes trite. Mm-hmm. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to say that. And said, mm-hmm. I, I'm here for you. How are you doing right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are things that you can say if you were to talk with other people who have, you know, um, dealt with trauma and situations like that. And you have to be, I, I think about what I'm saying and I don't want to repeat the same trite things. Mm-hmm. I really want somebody to understand, okay, tell me about your, your daughter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell me about your son. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. and I don't want you to think that we're going to forget about him because you don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I want those kind of, and people who come in here all the time, we want to ask them questions about their kids when they've lost kids from suicide and that sort of thing. I'm rambling. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want people to be genuine and authentic when they're, when they're talking to folk like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm <sighs> tired. Same. I I'm feel tired. exactly the same. Yes. I'm just tired. I'm, I'm tired. And I, I can't, I don't have babies. But I'm tired. I'm just, it's just, I, I, I don't know. I just, I'm tired. I need to go run. <laughs> I, listen, I had, take, I had taken a hiatus and this week it is back yeah. in full force. I need because to go walking. I, it really helps me with that, like, anxiety, frustration. Like, it it really helps a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and everybody's feeling this. And it's just, I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. It's just. I'm just, I don't know. I'm tired. Yeah. And and with, I encourage you to, to walk and to outside. It's the echo therapy. And then when we're moving our bodies, then mm-hmm. it increases the endorphins, mm-hmm. which are the mood mm-hmm. elevators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I put in my headset and I'm listening to good music and I'm, I'm walking to the music. And it, it really does. It really does do something. Um, and um, I, I was telling somebody a few minutes ago that uh, since we started the campaign, Raising Joy and, and starting the Joy campaign, I never really breathed deeply. Didn't. Really didn't. And I am reminded often about breathing deeply, not just shallow breathing, because I tend to hold my breath sometimes. So now... There's there's really something in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, breathing is not overrated. Pretty important. And people will say that to me all the time. Like I'll be overwhelmed about something and they're like, look, just breathe. Like all those things you say on the podcast. And I'm like, thank you for reminding yeah. me. Because yeah. you need it. You know, like yeah. you you definitely you need someone to say those things to you. 
for sure. Do you have any other wisdom, either one of you? I mean, I think it's, I'm not a chaplain, but I think also acknowledging when people say that I'm tired, I don't want to hear that comment. Mm -hmm. I think for us in mental health, we hear tragic things all the time that our kids have went through. And it's okay to say, I don't know what you're experiencing, but I'm here. I'm here to give you what you need. I'm here to listen. Tell me about something that you want that's positive that you mm-hmm. want me to know. Like you said, tell me about your child. Yes. I'm, I want to know about her. I, I know you're going to miss her, but I don't want her to be forgotten, forgotten and she will not. So I think it's important to acknowledge that because you're right, hearing the same thing over, it's frustrating, yeah, but I it think is. it's okay to say, and you know what? I don't know, but please tell me what you want. I'm yeah. here to listen to whatever you need yeah. and whatever you, what, however I can support you. Yeah. Here's the okay. casserole. Here you yeah. go. The, <laughs> it, it well, you may it not does, want it, my casserole. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the one I bought from Costco. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can have that one. Yeah. You can have that one. Thank you, ladies, so much for joining us. We're so appreciative of your of your thoughts, and um, we know that you work hard at what you do, and it's very difficult. I, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's very clear that you all are um, very passionate about what you do, and mm-hmm. I'm just grateful that that we have experts and people we can tap to and tap on and, <laughs> and say, okay, give us some more tips and give us some more wisdom. Yes. We need that. We and need that. Absolutely. Thank you also to our listeners. Um, please rate review and subscribe and find all of our joy campaign materials at cookchildrens.org slash joy until next time. Remember what I said, just breathe, <laughs> open up. You, you matter. matter.